So here's the question. How can e-commerce leaders make sure that they are producing a great product, providing a world-class customer experience, responsibly managing their finances, and still reserve time, energy, and resources for marketing their products? My name is James Sowers, and you're listening to the E-Commerce Insights Show, the podcast that gives you specific, actionable advice for growing your e-commerce business. Every Monday, you'll get a conversion rate optimization tactic that you can implement quickly to make your business 1% better every single week. Every Thursday, we sit down with industry experts to go deep on a specific aspect of running a successful e-commerce business. It's the perfect blend of learning and application, which means that you maximize the value of every single minute you spend with us. We're just as committed to growing your business as you are. So if you're looking for a partner to help you crush your revenue goals, you've come to the right place. Roll up your sleeves and grab a notepad because it's time to get to work. All right, Kristen, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really excited to have you and appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. I know we're going to get into a lot of interesting stuff about retail as evidenced by the neon sign behind you. But before we do that, without giving the whole life story, can you tell people that are listening a little bit about who you are, where you work and what you're doing for a living? What's got you excited right now? Yeah, so I'm Kristen LaFrance. Most people know me as the mayor of D2C Twitter. So I spent the last couple of years really building community, building expertise in the D2C and e-commerce space. And just very recently in the last three months, actually, I joined Shopify's retail team and I am now head of Resilient Retail, which is our brand new podcast that just launched this week. We just dropped with five episodes. It is super exciting. We're talking to a lot of D2C brands who've gone into retail, a lot of brick and mortar merchants who are going into e-commerce, sharing all those stories, inspiration tips. It's a ton of fun and you should definitely check it out. Listen, I've said this on the show before. I'm a podcast fanatic. That's why I'm standing in front of this microphone talking to you today. I have literally a hundred podcasts in my subscriptions in my podcast catcher app on my phone. This one is definitely going to be 101, right? Like this one's a no brainer for me. I've been following Kristen long enough. And obviously you've got the cloud of Shopify behind you and all of your great guests. So definitely go add that one. Don't stop listening to this one, but go listen to Kristen's show too. And so you recently joined Shopify. I'm curious, did you bring this concept to them or did they already have this in the works? And during the interview process or when you're evaluating the opportunity, you said, oh, I would love to work on that. I want that to be my first project. You got to put that in my contract and then I'll sign today. Like, how did that work out? Yeah, so it was actually a really interesting story. So I was at Churnbuster for two years, kind of came to a point where I just felt like I was ready to kind of take my my work in content and community and, and go a little further with it. And so I, I took some time to myself and just kind of took a couple too many weeks off of working, didn't realize I was going to take that many off. And then I kind of posted that I was looking for a job. And the funny thing is, is that Resilient Retail was something that was in the works at Shopify already. It was actually uh, this virtual event series is how they were going to do it. Harley was going to be the host of it. And so then as that was all going on, it, it kind of came about at the same time as George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And the team just kind of decided, you know, right now is not the time for us to be talking about Resilient Retail. It's time for us to allow other voices to be talking. So they kind of put the project on pause and it just oddly happened timing wise that right when I posted, oh, hey, I'm officially looking for a full-time job, they had started to relook at how to bring it back again. And so Matt Nelson, who is my lead, just came into my inbox and said, hey, I have a project I think you might be interested in. And I saw that he was from Shopify and was like, yes, sign me up. I was basically brought on to take the idea of resilient retail and blow it up into something much bigger than it was planned to be. So we did kind of two of those virtual events at the beginning of September to get that feel. I guess that was the beginning of August. 
We did two virtual events, which was kind of the original structure of the show, just to get people the content that was promised to them, get them kind of used to me as a host, used to the format. And then we took some time, backed up. We decided, you know, this is not something that I think that retailers don't have time to show up at a set time every week to come listen to me talk if they need it on their time. So we've actually decided to turn it into a full-blown podcast. So just launched October 13th, uh, like I said, with five episodes. It was an interesting timing thing where the project was kind of sitting there needing a champion and me as a podcaster was sitting there needing a role and it all came together perfectly. And now here we are. Yeah, divine intervention happens. And when it's serendipitous like that, sometimes that produces the best results. And I have no reason to believe that that won't be the case with you. I'm curious. So it, it's called Resilient Retail. And I think that the timing is interesting. And like, I'm not great with these things. But, you know, we had the coronavirus pandemic take effect and everybody's locked up. And so brick and mortar retail just gets hammered, right? And everybody was talking about how do these businesses remain resilient? How do they survive? How do they adapt and continue to thrive in this new environment? Is that like the precipitating event in the world that made this kind of like concept come together? Or was there a mission that already existed before that related to retail that is just kind of continuing to carry on? And this just happens to be an environment where, you know, retail does have like an uphill climb ahead of them. And they're trying to figure out how to continue to thrive going forward. Yeah. So, so Shopify's had point of sale for years, but it was always kind of not very well known as being a great point of sale system. But then right at the beginning of the pandemic, we released an entirely new hardware and software, completely undid it, rebuilt it up. So it's fantastic now. It works. It's a fully integrated system with the online stores. And they pushed that project really quickly at the beginning of COVID. I don't know if you guys remember at the beginning of the pandemic in kind of that March to June, Shopify was just dropping things every week. We got the shop app. We got a new point of sale. We got all these crazy announcements. And it was because Shopify had been investing in this side of the business for so long. And then they realized, hey, now more than ever, even if this product isn't absolutely perfect and ready to go with all the biggest marketing out there, we need to get it in the hands of merchants. Because what happened with the pandemic is, like you said, everyone's doors had to close foot traffic completely stopped. It's still really low. And so that means they were forced to get onto the e-commerce side of things. They were forced to pivot forced to make really quick decisions and start online sales. And when you do that and you have a different point of sale system, you start to have all these issues. You have inventory issues. You can't track online sales and in-store sales. So we had a lot of merchants doing like handwritten inventory tracking for their point of sale. And then they're using Shopify for online. So really the, the mission was, okay, let's get this product out because now it's really, really good and it serves the purpose it's supposed to. So that was already in the works. And then of course, with the COVID happening and with Black Lives Matter protests happening and the election happening this year, it's just been crazy for everybody, but particularly brick and mortar stores that have been able to depend on a consistent foot traffic for years and kind of consistent patterns of shopping and consistent behaviors, that's all been upended. And what we saw was uh, something that Harley talked a lot about in the first episode, which I love how he put this, is it forced this break in retail where you see these resistant retailers. These are kind of the J. Crews, the Dillards, a lot of these kind of old school department type stores that have been putting off e-commerce for a long time, who have thought about omni-channel just as like a potential strategy, never really invested in it. They think things will pass, will go back to normal, and now they're hitting bankruptcy and they're closing. And then we see these resilient retailers 
these are the people that we're talking to who have made split decisions to do crazy stuff. Either that's, you know, they turn their entire store just into a warehouse and open up online and they've done partnerships with other people locally. A lot of D to C brands moving into retail right now. It, it all came together. And then we just looked at it and said, we have a bucket of merchants who are just refusing to give up at every turn, even though the world is pushing them back every time they stand back up. And it felt like, these people really need a place to connect with each other, to get advice from people who have made it, to learn how in the world to do e-commerce. Because for a lot of these merchants, they're having to figure it all out right now in the midst of a pandemic, which you and I both know, like even a, a store that starts as digitally native, like e-commerce is a heck of a thing to, to get your head around, especially if you've never done it. So we want to just create a space where there's value and connection and storytelling and hard-hitting tactics all in one for these merchants who really are the backbone of our societies and our cultures around the world. So it sounds like it was almost like a, a wave was building up, right? And then the crest of that wave started to accelerate with coronavirus and everything. And all you guys have to do is paddle because there's so much momentum behind this movement that you just need to paddle and ride the wave as long as you can and get something as useful as Resilient Retail out there into the world because there's a demand for it, right? Like people are raising their hand and saying, I need help with this. And the lines between e-commerce and physical retail are blurry these days. And I think I saw a tweet from Webb Smith the other day. It was a quote from the Social Network movie. I don't know if you saw it, but he said something like, drop the E, it sounds better, right? Just call it commerce. And I think there's some truth to that, right? Like we're no longer, there isn't this strict divide between like you either are brick and mortar or you're selling online. Like brick and mortar stores have an e-commerce line and they have an e-commerce manager that handles all the digital sales. And then you've got D2C companies that are launching online first and then they're doing pop-up stores or they're having retail locations start to crop up. So I think it is like a two-way street now. And maybe we did, you should just drop the E and start talking about commerce in general. One more thing that I'm curious about with the show is you talked about Harley kicking things off and having great insights there. Is there more of a branded guest or someone else that you've had on since then that really stands out to you as like a conversation that was super valuable, whether you just really enjoyed it or you learned something insightful? Like what are some of the big key insights that you've drawn from the work that you've done so far? Not necessarily spoiling anything for the, the big launch because I know some of it's out there, but not all of it. And I'm sure you got a few in the can. So whatever you're comfortable sharing, like what have you learned so far from the process of interviewing these folks and learning from retail? In the drop that we did, we launched with five episodes. So you could really get kind of, we wanted to give the audience a feel of what the whole season's going to work out to. So we had, you know, we had Harley who came on and just about made me cry for the whole episode. We had Coco and Breezy with a massive brand aspirational story. They designed sunglasses for Prince. We had experts Nick Sharma and Haley LaSavage on giving very tactical advice on how to do what we're talking about this all omni-channel commerce instead of just e-commerce versus brick and mortar. We had Eric Banholes came on. I kind of snagged him right in time. They just opened their own barbershop for Beard Brand. That was a really cool story to hear. Before he even really had any data, he's still kind of guessing at it. So to hear someone have to talk about a strategy that early was really cool. But the fifth episode in that drop is one that I really want to highlight. It was with Steph LaPosta. She's actually a full-time Shopify employee. And her and her partner own a very small retail store in Toronto. And that conversation was really powerful because it really brought out the real true stories of what these brick and mortar retailers are going through. And that there's this moment where she said, you know, 
we're, we're looking at our expenses and the question is on the line of how long can we keep our doors open and at what point are we going to have to decide to close them for good? And she says, I can't let that happen. I, I won't let that happen. We've, we've put too much in, into this brand, into this store, into this relationship with my partner that all kind of revolves around this space. We can't let that happen. And that episode to me was just, it was such a strong reminder that yes, there's a lot of these big D to C brands or massive departments with lots of people and huge budgets and VC funding, and they can make these pivots and they can test things quickly. But the other side of the coin is there are these local merchants. There's a a cafe two blocks away from me that's owned by just a guy who lives in Colorado Springs and his wife. There is a clothing store right next door to the spin studio that I go to that is just owned by a local couple. These are the stories that I think we tend to look past in the press a lot because they're not really the hard hitters, right? You're not hearing about how this really cool brand did something crazy to stay afloat. The stories that are really motivating to me are these individual merchants. They have one to two to three stores. They're built into their local community. They are trying to figure things out as they go. They're still kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And they're the ones who've been hit the hardest and they're they're struggling and they're trying to do as many things as they possibly can. And that episode to me taught me more about retail than really any of the other ones, just because it gave me a glimpse into the real day-to-day lives of what these merchants are going through. Another one that's coming up that I'm really excited though, which is kind of back to the other side, Michelle Cordero Grant who's the founder and CEO of Lively. She is an absolute genius in the way she talks about pivoting her business. She has this idea that you don't always have to do such aggressive pivots in the way they've kind of stayed afloat is they've made very small, subtle changes based on what they knew they were already good at. And so that's an episode that's coming out that you guys should definitely tune into. It was kind of one of those at the end of it. I was like, wow, I feel like I just like really learned so much about how to think about a business and how to think multi-channel. The biggest things I'm learning really, I think is something that surprised me is the similarities between e-commerce and physical retail. And when I kind of made this shift in my career, I was pretty nervous at first. I am, you know, the mayor of D2C Twitter. That means I don't really have a lot of background in specific brick and mortar retail. But what I'm learning, and it's almost a reverse engineer of everything that I've known, is that when you're buying online, a lot of times the goal is to replicate or improve the experience that you would have gotten in store. And so now it's almost going the other way where I'm hearing, okay, how do you build those experiences in store? And now then how do they go replicated online? It's a very interesting thing where there's so much similarity between the two worlds, which is why they're converging so quickly now. And it is just all commerce. And Learning just how these people have thought about customer experience is something we talk about a lot. Customer engagement, something we talk a lot about on the e-commerce side. And to have to think through that in a physical one-on-one experience with a person, it's really reminded me a lot about how much humanity is in commerce and how much human interaction is needed in shopping and how people shop and how people think about what they buy. These are all things that I'm just constantly learning from these guests. And it's really cool to see how the two industries are actually, I would argue, just kind of one and they are becoming one. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we started with physical commerce. We started in marketplaces and bazaars and, you know, small communities where we're kind of bartering goods back and forth. It was 
person to person to begin with, and we took it online. So it makes sense that there are a lot of parallels there. What I love about what you're doing with your show is, you know, at its heart, entrepreneurship is about risk. It's about adversity. It's about adapting and surviving and being creative about how you attack problems. And I think you're doing a great job from the sounds of it of bringing out the journalistic side of these stories and making sure that the people behind the story get presented. Like one example that I can think of just locally here is that a lot of the craft breweries had to, they had no foot traffic anymore and they weren't yet big enough to be distributed in grocery stores and stuff like that. So they had to pivot to stay alive. And what they ended up doing was making hand sanitizer. And this was happening all across the country. They had all the equipment and the raw materials and it didn't smell good, but it cleaned your hands and it kept everybody safe and the hospitals didn't have enough of it. And so they just started manufacturing that and selling it to hospitals or whatever, just to stay alive. And I just love stories like that of people who won't quit because I think we all like to hope that we have that inside of ourselves. And it's good to look over somebody's shoulder and say like, wow, you went through that. That's so amazing. And you came out on the other side and you're better for it, right? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned breweries. Somebody else we're going to have on the show is uh, Great Lakes Brewery. And this is a story we've actually seen now multiple times. I love beer. I love my local breweries. And so I've actually seen a lot of places here in Colorado Springs do this. And I find it really cool. Great Lakes Brewery, they had to kind of fire almost half of their employees. They had to close their doors. They had nobody coming in. They had barrels of beer sitting and no one to drink it. And so what they did was they implemented curbside pickup and local delivery, which are two massive trends we're seeing in the retail space. And pretty quickly with their online sales, with the availability to do it like that for their community, they rehired everybody that they had fired. Their sales are back up. Their profits are higher than they've ever been. It's a really cool story in that I think it's just this idea that we're all learning how to sell differently. Like a year ago, you couldn't drive to a brewery and take beer home. That wouldn't be something that you could have done. Now you can do that. Now I can drive to my favorite restaurant and get a to-go margarita or to-go old-fashioned and I can just take it home. These things are really cool. And that's what is also really exciting is these pivots that businesses are making and some are making massive pivots, like you mentioned, stop selling what you're selling, start selling face masks, masks and hand sanitizer, then there's others who are able to just kind of adjust and tweak a little bit. And all of a sudden, they've built this new shopping experience that customers are really loving. And everybody's wanting to shop local and shop small right now. That's a really cool trend that's come out of it. There is a silver lining. And with that being said, as these retailers are just adding in new experiences and changing the way they sell, they're able to kind of capitalize on all of this coming together. And it's almost this perfect storm that's allowing some new changes to happen. There's there's a bright side to all this too. There's just so much volatility that you, it's exciting to not know what the outcome looks like, right? Like you're in the thick of it and you're like, this could be catastrophic or this could be like fantastic. And our, and our business could double overnight. Like I'm sure that some folks have moved their brick and mortar retail business online and are doing so well that they might just get rid of the physical location. Like I'm sure there are examples of people out there like that. I know there are examples of corporate offices that are doing that. And they're like, we might just work remotely for the rest of our days and cut the lease and reinvest that money somewhere else. You know, at the same time, that creates opportunity for direct-to-consumer businesses to eat up some of that retail space because rents are probably going to be at all-time lows, or at least in our lifetime. And so I'm curious if you've seen any trends around that, if you've seen primarily e-commerce business opening up physical locations now that as the world starts to open up a little bit more and take advantage of some of the opportunities they see there in the market to get their physical products like in a place where somebody can see and touch them and like interact with them or whatever else it might be. It's actually a really exciting trend that's happening because like you said, there's a lot of people that are moving out, leases are opening up, 
rent is going down. And then also landlords are having to get creative because they need tenants to get in their space. But you can't necessarily say, well, you have to be here for 12 months because if 2020 proved anything to us, like what in the world is 12 months going to look like? We have no idea. So those really strict contracts are changing. And it's an exciting time for brands that before may have not been able to afford to get into retail are looking at it now as an opportunity because it is less expensive and retail is not dead and people are still going to stores and they want to still have those experiences. And as we're seeing, there's all these ways you can still have a brick and mortar store right now in the pandemic and a lot of stuff you can do. I know of a D2C company that is looking at taking over multiple cafes in a city that they live in that beforehand they could have never done. It maybe was in their five to 10 year plan, but as Harley said, 2030 got shoved into 2020. So now you're seeing a lot of these people go in and try to open up storefronts. And the exciting thing is, and something I think that's really cool, is there's this creative option for D2C brands as they're starting to think about retail they can just use a storefront as another fulfillment center in the meantime, as they're working on the space, as they're trying to figure out how to market in the communities they're opening in. So it's not just a cost center, it's actually still profiting them. They're allowed to get closer with the community that they open their stores in, and they're just getting better access to their customers that way. So there is this shift happening, and I'm personally really excited about it because I think that means in a lot of cities in America, that have been kind of just stuck with the normal retailers, the department stores, just your classic malls. A lot of that's going to be changing and we're going to start seeing really interesting, cool brands coming into spaces and kind of flipping shopping centers and flipping culture. To me, like what is 10 years from now going to look like when you walk down the main street of Colorado Springs? You might not recognize a lot of the brands that were there now. And Time brings change. And even though it's been a hard change, there is this resistance versus resilient thing going on. And so you're seeing resilient brands get into these spaces and do really cool things. And I think that's only going to do good things for our society. But yeah, big trend with D2C getting into retail right now because it's been on everyone's mind. Like you've seen a lot of the, the big companies do it. It's something that you're looking at. And now it's a lot more affordable than it was before. And there's a lot of creative ways you can work with it. Yeah, it's really exciting because I think that a lot of the traditional brick and mortar brands that you're used to, they've gotten a little complacent, I would say. Like they are benefiting from the fact that they have proximity to their buyer, that they're close, they have convenience, like they're on your way home from work. So you just pop in and grab what you need and you go home. You don't have to wait two to seven days to get your product. But if that changes, if you have some of these digitally native brands move to physical locations, then you take those two things away. And I think that traditionally e-commerce brands have had to lean on the quality of their product because if somebody orders it and it comes in and it's no good, they're going to tell their friends. And then your next sale just got that much harder. Whereas something like, I don't know, I don't want to bash any actual brand, but like, let's say like a J crew or something like maybe they started with a really high quality material that was an insane value for the price. But as they gained notoriety, the price continues to go up, but the value of the materials used might go down. Right. And so they are kind of like taking advantage of their position of power and the products getting weaker and weaker over time. It's slowly, but it's happening. And again, not to throw J crew out there, but it was top of mind for me. I don't even know. But yeah. So on the other hand, you have these brand new innovative, creative D2C 
e-commerce brands that have strong products and they're going to bring them to a physical market and they're going to take advantage of that proximity and convenience I mentioned earlier. And for the consumer, that's a great deal because now all of a sudden you can get somebody that actually values like your opinion and your experience with their product and they're right next door to you or they're on your way home from work and you can take advantage of that as well. So I'm curious, like in terms of D2C brands moving to physical spaces, what are some of those crossovers? Like you talked about how there are so many parallels between selling online and selling in person in terms of like customer experience or building a community or something like that. So do you have any more tangible results or examples of those things in action? Like somebody moved from online to a physical space and they replicated their customer experience in this way, right? Like maybe it's ambiance, maybe it's customer service at the point of sale, like whatever that looks like, what have you seen from your experience? Yeah, a really cool example of this is Mac Weldon, and they sell kind of men's basics, but it's highly premium. They have a store in Hudson Yards in New York City. And I talked to Brian Berger, who is the founder, and hearing how he thinks about those two channels working in tandem was really interesting. The biggest one is always going to be the customer experience is you're trying to build a holistic experience. Now we talk about it between channels. So we talk about like make the experience from your ad to your website to your emails feel like an actual journey and like it's a cohesive story that's making sense. Now you're just adding in retail can be looked at as kind of another channel. How do you build that all into one holistic brand and customer experience? And something that he talked a lot about was we're trying to make our stores feel like the online experience, but then there's a lot of learnings that go into that. They stock a lot of different products in their store that they don't highlight on their website as much because a lot of people coming into the store are kind of second time buyers, third time buyers. So they come in and they can talk to somebody about the fabrics of the polos. They've tried the underwear and now they want to try the polo or they want to try this. And they get to see and touch and feel the different products that maybe they wouldn't have bought online. And so creating those different customer experiences, but then that drives it all together is really the key there. Another thing we've seen a lot is loyalty programs. I just went up to Denver this past week and went and talked to the people at Topo Designs. They have three stores, Denver, Fort Collins, and then in the Denver airport. They are very well known online as an online store and then in Colorado is a physical store and they just recently launched a new loyalty program because they can integrate it all together where no matter if you're buying online or in store you're getting points and you can use those things again on the next purchase and they're driving this customer experience that's bringing you back to the brand at different touch points. And I mean that's the heart of what I've been saying in e-commerce customer retention for the last two and a half years is you have all these touch points, but does it make sense in between them? Does it create a journey? Does it bring the customer closer to the brand? The other thing is going to be customer engagement. There is, you know, we talk about it in D2C all the time. Get on the phone with your customer, talk to your customer, talk one-on-one -on -one with them. In a retail sense, you get unmatched customer engagement, which is actually something I've been talking with a lot of brick and mortar merchants on saying, you know, you think you're at a disadvantage because you're having to get online now and compete in this saturated space but they're almost ahead because they have these deep connections with customers. They know their customers arguably better than a lot of e-commerce sites do, even though we have the data. It's the qualitative data that they have that's massively helpful. So on both e-commerce and retail, you're talking about how can you get to know your customer? How can you talk to them? How can you learn how they shop, how they make decisions, what they care about, what they connect with? And so in the physical space, you get that one-on-one -on -one with a sales associate and someone walking in and trying on clothes and touching the fabric and looking in the mirror and saying, oh, this feels a little boxy. There's so much you can learn on that. 
And then the other big thing, like you mentioned, is building a community. And so for a lot of retailers, it's about the community that they're in. It's about the people that are walking by their store. It's about the people who come to New York City to go visit a Mack Weldon store, to go to Hudson Yards. And so you want to be building this community with the people around you so you can keep bringing people back in your door, especially now when going into a store, there's a built-in risk there. And so it has to be worth it. And a lot of that is driven by community. This is something Michelle from Lively talks a lot about. They have women who come in their store just to hang out, just to have coffee just to breastfeed because they're walking by the store and they know it's a safe space for them to go do that. And so there is this idea built into retail that you have to be involved in your local community and you have to be involved in building that community and driving them back to your brand for more than just shopping. And on the e-commerce side, we talk about that all the time, right? You can't just be hitting your customers with sales emails and sales messages and discounts and this. There has to be some kind of community pull. You have to feel like you're buying into something bigger. You're buying into a mission or a reason. And when I see someone walking down the street wearing an Outdoor Voices exercise dress, I kind of have this moment every time where I'm like, hey, like we probably would get along because we both like Outdoor Voices. And so being able to bridge that from both e-commerce and retail, those are the three, I think, biggest things that I've really seen are very parallel between the two. And, and it makes sense, right? Because it's what we're saying. It's not e-commerce versus in-person commerce anymore. It's now just total commerce. You had said something I, I wanted to touch on, which was these traditional retailers held so much power for so long. And they held power in determining how we shopped. They got to tell us, if you want to buy this shirt, you have to come into the J. Crew store or you have to go to our online store. And that is the only way you can shop. They got to dictate where things were sold, how they were sold, because there wasn't much omni-channel commerce. Now consumers have more power than they've ever had. We can decide how we want to shop, where we want to shop, how much we want to spend on shipping, how much we're okay with spending on taxes, how we want things to be shipped, how quickly we want them to be shipped, if we want it to be sustainable or not. We can literally choose anything we want as consumers. So this idea of e-commerce versus physical commerce, it's the idea of the resistant because Now it's not just an option. It's not just a strategy. It's a tactic that you have to be everywhere your consumers are, or at least in as many places as your consumers are shopping to give you a chance because they hold the power now to make that decision, which I think that's why we're seeing so many ideas bridging between the two, D2C, e-commerce, and physical retail, is because it does all have to intertwine now because we have the option to buy how we want, which is, it's a great change that we've made, really. At its core, it's about meeting the customer where they want to be met, right? Like if they prefer the in-person shopping, you have an option for them. If they prefer to shop online at night after the kids go to bed and kind of browse on their own time, you have that too. So I have a little bit of a sales background and I was always taught you got to meet the person across the table where they're at in their customer journey. Sometimes they're trying to even learn about the problem. Sometimes they're trying to learn about potential solutions to the problem. And sometimes they've done all their research and they just want to learn about you, right? Or your competitors. And so this is really kind of the same concept. It's like, let's meet the customer where they want to be met. Let's give them the information they need to make an informed purchasing decision. And if we're confident in our product and our approach and our messaging, then that's going to be us, right? What I love about what you said is learning about your customers through physical retail and hopefully, more importantly, taking that back to the digital experience. So one example I can think of is I believe that 
in a brick and mortar setting, people are more likely to purchase gifts for other people, right? Especially with Q4 coming up. So I'm going to, I want to go to the store and touch the material. Like if I'm going to buy my wife, I don't know, a, a winter jacket or something like that. Like I want to touch the material. I want to see how thick it is. I want to see if I think it's going to keep her warm or whatever. And like, what does the color look like in real life? Because she cares about these things. Right. And so like, I might want to go see it and I might have questions about what fill in the jacket makes a difference and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to go to the store to get an associate to answer those questions for me because they're the expert in the space. And to me, that builds more confidence than going to the website and trying to interpret it for myself. But the important part, I think, in this transition period where we have like a physical presence and a digital presence is how do you take the insights that the frontline salesperson is hearing from the customer and port those over to the online experience and maybe build I don't know, a gifting quiz, right? Like fill out these five questions and we will recommend the best code for your loved one based on what you tell us. So that's the kind of stuff. I think that's going to be the challenge for brands looking to do this omni-channel approach is like, how do we take advantage of all the upside that physical has to offer, but transport that over to our online experience and use it to continue to improve things there. Yeah, actually, one of my my favorite things that a lot of stores have been doing is virtual shopping appointments. Neighborhood Goods is a really good example of this, a really well-known retailer. They bring in a bunch of different brands. So there's a lot of different products. A big part about going to Neighborhood Goods is that process of walking around and seeing the brands and touching the products. And now what they're able to do is when someone's online and they can do this based on, you know, the store is normally empty around 12 to 1. So we're going to turn on the tool that we're going to use for virtual styling on the website because we know that's a high traffic time on the website. And then someone goes on the site, a thing pops up and you can FaceTime with an actual sales associate. They can be picking up stuff. I've seen videos of sales associates putting on shoes with jeans and saying like, oh, here's how they look with skinny jeans versus here's how they look with leggings. Do you like how this looks? They'll pick up a pillow and say like, here's how squishy it is. Or, you know, these things that you can get still that in-store experience, but you're doing it online. That's one of the coolest things I've seen. And then, yeah, what you're talking about is you're getting all those customer objections that we're trying to find all the time in e-commerce. You're getting them live with people. So you can say, okay, most people who come in and they are looking at a woman's coat, the questions they normally have are, what's the fill? Why do I want this versus the other one? How do I wash it? And what will it actually look like with my favorite winter outfit that I wear to work most often? And now that's something you can say, okay, well, online on our product page, let's have a chat bot come up and say, hey, do you need help picking the filling? Or do you need help styling this? Or how can we do this? Or in the product description, you're actually putting that information in. Or on your pictures and videos, there are actual lifestyle pictures and videos of someone wearing the clothes, walking around with them. You can see and feel it. So it's really just about taking all those things that are happening in store and transitioning them to online. And I know a lot of your listeners are e-commerce only businesses. And and so I want to give them some advice too, which is even if you don't have a physical store, play it out like you do in your head, step back and say, okay, if I had to walk up to somebody and sell them my product, what does that look like? What does that conversation look like? How do I talk to them? How would that conversation go? What would I think they would ask me? You can even go practice this with somebody, go do it on the street, try to sell something to somebody and just think about how in real life would this happen? And that can inform then your online, especially your conversion optimization, especially your email marketing. It's really easy online to get so caught up in the data and to be looking directly at the numbers and saying, this is a 15% click-through rate. This is this, this is that. And just trusting those numbers. But there is this really important part of 
taking a step back and thinking about the experience and saying, does this actually work human to human? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're all shopping for is, is we're buying something from another human that will add value to our human life. So being able to even step back and pretend like one day, if I had a retail store, what would it look like? What would I want it to feel like? What would I want the energy between my sales associates and the customers feel like? What would I want people to describe our store as? And then take that online because that's going to be how you actually create sales that turn into relationships that turn into repeat sales. Yeah, I love that idea. And for anybody who's sitting there saying like, I can't even picture that, right? We're just so digitally native. We've always been online. We're always going to be online. We, you can replicate these things. We always say, get on calls with your customers. And that's something that like everybody knows they should be doing, but they don't. Just like you said with your FaceTime example earlier, I can physically hold up a product on a video call with a customer and I can say, hey, here's what it looks like. What questions do you have? You can do customer research at that level or send them the product or wait until somebody buys something and say, hey, I noticed you just tried our new coffee blend or whatever. I was hoping I could get 30 minutes of your time. Here's an Amazon gift card, whatever you got to do. Would you get on the phone with me? And I want to teach you how to make a latte or something with it. Like, I want to see you brew the coffee or something, right? It's not going to be something that a lot of customers opt into, but the ones that do are the ones that you want to hear from the most, right? And so if you can make that happen and you can get more, I guess, direct physical interaction or engagement between you and your customers, then that is something that in a way kind of replicates that in-store experience. So you can still get all the upside of knowing what that would be like without even having to have brick and mortar retail like on your five-year plan. You don't have to commit to anything, but it's a good perspective shift, I think, to say when this person has my product in their hand, what are their questions and what can I learn from it? Right. And then how can I use that to inform my lifestyle photos or my product detail page with the specs that it's on it or the checkout process? What is that final piece of reassurance that I can give somebody when they're looking at their total cart value and saying, do I really want to spend this money on this product right now, like that's where you pull from your FAQs and you say, our biggest objection is I'm not sure that it's going to fit me right. Or I'm not sure it's going to be warm enough Just say, Hey, just as a reminder, this is the warmest fill we have. It's rated all the way down to whatever, like zero degrees Fahrenheit. Something like that is just enough to get them to further commit to that purchase. It makes a difference between a conversion and one not happening at all. So it's something that Val Geisler and I have talked a lot about, which we're both kind of copywriters Val does email copywriting. She is one of the best. And when she gets a job, the first thing she does is she has a month of customer interviews before she ever writes an email. And we've said it a lot to each other. We're not necessarily writers as much as we're copy and pasters. And you think about that one customer conversation can now turn into your exact email template for here are your questions. You just bought the product. It's on its way. Let's toss in an email right there that gets ahead of all the questions you're going to have right when you get the product so that you can use it and be successful for it. And just that one customer conversation can be more valuable than a month's worth of data at some points. Obviously, that's a blanket statement that's not always going to be true. And I want to encourage business owners. A lot of times we hear, I don't know what to talk to them about. Nobody wants to talk to like a salesperson, customers aren't going to want to talk to a brand. There's actually a lot of customers who love to do this. And it's almost cathartic to think through, why do I buy the way I do? And so just start reaching out. Like you said, it might not be a bunch of customers, but it is going to be the ones you want to talk about because they're going to give you the truth that you can't see because you're too close to it, because you're not a customer of your own brand. So yeah, don't be afraid to do it. People love to talk. As long as you are genuine, authentic, you're caring about the value that your product brings them, and you're not trying to sell to them on a customer research call, it's going to be worth your time. 
Yeah, totally agree. So if we were going to shift gears a little bit and you take off your consultant hat, you take off your Shopify hat, whichever one you like to wear day to day between nine and five, and we put on our consumer hat, like I know that you're always testing out new D2C brands. Maybe now you're sampling into new retail offerings. What is a brand that stood out to you recently, whether it was the product itself or the purchasing experience or the ad that got you to click through? Like, is there anything in the recent 30 to 60 days that really jumps out at you as like, man, these people really caught my attention or I really valued this interaction or I really love this product. Just feel free to give them a plug and let them know that they're doing a great job. Yeah, I am going to go back to a brand that I've talked about a lot, but I haven't talked about them recently. And that is MeUndies. I found MeUndies a couple years ago, fell in love with their mission, fell in love with the way they do everything. Their emails are great. They have a good social cause. They do all these amazing engagements with customers. I bought like a 10 pack of underwear, I think last Christmas, probably didn't need to get a whole bunch more between now and then. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, cool. I have holes in all my underwear. So I went and I had to buy another massive amount because I, for some reason, wasn't on subscription, which I have changed now. But I went and I, again, spent a really big amount, over $100. And then they also had shipping delays. So I bought it. There's the expectation it's going to come within the next week or so. And they have had a lot of issues with their supply chain, with their shipping because of the pandemic. And something they did that was just so special was I got multiple emails in the time frame. I got updates. I got an email from, there was a text-based email from the founder just saying, we're really sorry. Thanks so much for sticking through with us. Here's a discount code for the next time you buy. And just explaining what was actually happening in a human-to-human way. And to the point where I was basically like, well, I don't care if it takes two months at this point because I can tell you guys are paying attention and you're working and you're trying. And it was just such a good brand experience. And then they came and they have a great unboxing and they have cute little inserts. And I got another email after delivered reminding me that I had a promo code for the next time I go by because it took them so long. That was one of those experiences where it was just baked in should have been a negative customer experience and they were able to turn it around and almost re-engage me as a very excited customer. And now I'm back on subscription, even with all that going on. So that's a very simple example of knowing your customer, knowing what we care about, engaging in the right way and turning what could have been a moment that I could have said, screw these guys. I'm never buying from them again. I can't wait three weeks for my underwear to come, this wasn't a good experience to saying, oh, right. I love them so much. And yes, I'm reminded how good the product was. And I tried a different product and I loved that one too. And then I got a message from the founder saying, you know, here's what we care about. Here's what we're doing. Here's why this is happening. We're so sorry. And now I have incentive to go buy again. That happened in the last two weeks. And it was one of those moments where I was just like, wow, I really should have been upset. And I ended up being overly happy with the brand instead. Yeah. And you're sitting here telling us about it. And I'm sure you've told friends in your in your inner circle about it too. So the word of mouth marketing, even beyond like your unique experience or your personal experience is got to be worth something to that brand. So investing and over-investing in some cases in kind of mitigating the downside of a bad experience and flipping that around, like can't say enough good things about that. Great job to me, Yandis. I got a couple more questions for you if you have the time. We've talked about like trends that you're seeing between DTC and physical retail. This is kind of like in the moment or on the horizon here, but if we 
project out a little bit farther. Is there any kind of long-term trend that you're keeping an eye on in terms of make, maybe it's e-commerce tech or maybe it's consumer purchasing behavior? Or is there anything that like over the next, I think it was Harley that said, we've crammed 2030 into 2020, right? But maybe not all of it got pushed forward. Is there something that's still on that longer term time horizon that you're kind of excited about or interested in? Or like, I can't wait to see what happens with this. There's kind of a set number of trends that I've been really watching and I've been seeing kind of grow in their infancy. And I'm curious to see how they go. The first one is obviously, this is a big one. Everybody's moving online. Everybody's shopping online. My parents are buying things online. They never would have bought online before. You're seeing people buy groceries online and go pick it up. There are entirely new sectors of people who are now comfortable buying online. And so the question is, with that trend, what comes after? How are we going to differentiate our brands now? How are we going to talk to specific customers? What brands are going to come out that are now serving customers that have never shopped online before and are doing it now? What are those going to look like? So that's the number one I'm watching is what does e-commerce continue to grow? What does it continue to be like? The second one is shopping local and shopping small. There's this big trend that we're seeing at Shopify. We have the data to back it up that people are wanting to shop small. There are people who are now questioning, do I spend too much on Amazon? Even my close friends are texting me and saying, hey, I I need to go buy this. I want to buy workout tanks. And normally I'd go to Amazon, but like, I don't really feel great about that right now where could I go instead? And so you're having this this shift happen where people are starting to second guess price and convenience for different things, for supporting local communities, for caring who they're buying from. That one is really exciting to me for many reasons. That means that smaller D2C brands are going to get more attention, which is really what we want. Shopify's entire mission is to decentralize commerce, which that, that is, in theory, what it means when you shop local instead of Amazon. Amazon is centralizing commerce. We want to give that power to all of the entrepreneurs that want to start something out there. So this, this trend towards shopping local is really exciting. And I think in the next 5, 10 years, it's probably only going to grow stronger because you're seeing these kind of old school, traditional retailers bowing out and they can't really keep up with what's going on. Another one is just, you know, the different styles of of selling curbside pickup, local delivery, walk-up pickup, walk-up stores. All of these things are really exciting. And I don't think they're going to go away just when the pandemic goes away, because I think there's so much convenience in these shopping things. I, I was talking to the founder of TC Running. They're in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. And they started their online store right around March 15th when all this was happening. And their online sales are over 400% what they've ever been. And they're beating out the retail store, even though they have still such a strong retail presence. He was telling me this story of, you know, a customer can now go on the site and what they see on the site is in stock in the store versus someone having to call and say, hey, I see that you have like the Nike Air Jordan. Do you have it in a size 10 and a half? The associate has to go back and look and say, yeah, we've got it. Can you hold it for me? Now they can go and look online and know for sure what they see online is in stock in the store. And so they have a lot of people just ordering and then picking up right in store or putting it on hold online. And then they come in, they try it on, and then they walk out with it. I don't think that's going to go away even with the pandemic because we don't have a lot of time in our lives ever. And we want to do things quickly. And when you know what you want and you just need to do a quick stop to try it on, that's going to continue. So those trends are going to keep going. And lastly, I think it's just this 
idea of what can commerce become now that that the walls have been torn down, that there is all this pivoting happening, that the opportunities are leveling out a little bit because now everybody can be online. There's some retail spaces opening up for new brands and we've got all this tech coming out. We have AI coming out. We have virtual styling coming out. We have, you know, where you can take a picture in a room and put a couch right there. There's all these things that are happening. One click checkout, shop pay, local shopping, just so many things. And so it'll be curious in the next, you know, as things maybe go back to somewhat normal. I don't know if we'll ever know what normal is again. I don't I don't even know if that's a thing we can we can figure out what it is. But all of this is going to change the way we shop and it's going to continue to change the way people shop. And I am super curious to watch that and see what brands are going to come out and do stuff that is totally new and really exciting and change the game for everybody. I think our industries need it. I think we're at the time, especially in the e-commerce industry, where a lot of stuff feels the same. You go to a site and it feels the same as the last site you were on. It feels the same checkout. And now we're going to start seeing some really cool stuff coming out. That's what I'm looking forward to the most is just how creative are these entrepreneurs going to get? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to kind of what we, how we kick things off where there's like good volatility and bad volatility. We've had a lot of really bad volatility recently, especially this year, but this could be some good volatility. It's fresh perspectives. It's new approaches. It's a better customer experience. I'm excited personally to see, hopefully it stops being a race to the bottom. Price and logistics aren't the only points of differentiation. Discounting isn't the first thing you see within three seconds of hitting a site that you don't know anything about. It's more on mission and people and product quality and other things like that, like sustainable or sourcing local or whole ingredients or something like that. Like there are other things, higher value things, in my opinion, that consumers are going to make their purchasing decision on. So I'm excited about that. And I'm also excited about the other element that we have talked about at various points throughout this, which is like, how do you take that face-to-face interaction and produce it online? And I think a big part of that is going to be personalization, like segmenting your audience and using their actual purchasing behavior to contextualize and personalize the messages that you put in front of them. It needs to be more like a two-way conversation and not just let me shout at you about my products and how good they are or how much people love them, right? So those are a couple of trends I'm keeping an eye on. But listen, if we wanted to make this super actionable, like you go through a lot of purchasing experiences, you guys at Shopify have a lot of data, you talk to a lot of brand owners, like there's definitely low-hanging fruit out there that somebody can take action on today or this week and see a meaningful improvement in their business. If they're gearing up for Q4, what's something that like, you know how you talked about, you land on seven different sites and they all kind of look and feel the same. They might even have the same theme with slight you know, customizations. The checkout process feels the same. The post-purchase emails are templated. Like what is one piece of low-hanging fruit where it's, I bet that you're probably not taking care of this right now, but the best brands do. And if you change it between now and next week, you're going to see a significant improvement. Maybe not necessarily in sales right away, but in the customer experience, that type of thing. Yeah. There is one piece in the customer journey that I see again and again, only the best brands are doing it. And it's so simple. And it is the period of time between order purchased online and order delivered. There is this complete window of customer experience that's happening right there. Somebody has opted into your product. They've given you their money. They are excited about it. And then for most brands, after that, you get the order confirmation delivery. You get tracking information. You might get a ship notification. And that's about it. And then you're going to enter into some automation of sales or newsletters or follow us on Instagram. But there's this mega period of time right there that 
we can take it back to retail. If someone walks in your store and they want to try on shoes and, you know, they walk into a running store, they want to try on a bunch of shoes. They've already made the decision. They're walking out with a pair of shoes today if they can find the ones they want. And so someone in that situation, they take really good care of that person. They try on 10 different pairs of shoes. They talk to them about the running style. They look at their run, they figure out the right shoe, and then they can go and walk out of the store and buy it and go on a run that day. They have given them the recipe for success with the product. Once they have the product, now they know it's the right one. They know what to do with it. They know how to tie their laces when you're going up, up or down. REI is a great example of doing this. But in e-commerce, when you don't have that time, what it is, is that post-purchase experience. So thinking somebody just gave me money, but they don't have the product yet, but we know they want it. They're going to get it. Can you give them value in that time that when they get that box, when they open that box, they're excited to open it. They know how to use it. They know how to find success with it. They're not confused about anything. So that is, you know, if you're selling coffee and somebody buys a coffee kit, make sure there's content in between that's just leading them to be successful. Here are recipes. Here's how to do it. Here's a video. Here's a playlist to listen to while you're making coffee. Here's mantras to listen to while making coffee. Here's how to flavor it. Here's all this. If it's clothing, you can say, here's how to style it. Here's how to wash it. Here's what you should do when you open the product. Here's something we want you to think about when you're doing this. There are all these little things in that moment. And it's it's such a blank space for so many e-commerce brands because you think, you know, they've bought it. Don't bother them. Leave them alone. Let them get the product and do it. But it's the best chance to build a relationship and to build a successful customer who then next time they need what you sell will probably come back because they already know how to do it. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that one because if you would have turned that question around on me, that's what I would have said. There's so many like post-purchase customer nurturing time periods that are just completely unaddressed. It's bad enough to have the last email I get be that shipping confirmation. And then I don't see anything until the product shows up to my door. But what's even worse is like, I've had some experiences where I buy something, I get the shipping confirmation, and then I get like their generic marketing email blasts, right? And like, there should definitely be a period there between when I buy and when I physically get the product, at least where like, you don't hit me with your general marketing messages, right? I don't need to see any more. I just bought, I don't even know if I like what I bought because that's the difference between retail and online line is like in retail, like you said, you get all those questions and everything addressed up front. I got the product. I'm probably going to be happy with it unless it's like a running shoe and I physically have to go run in it. But like, I have a reasonable level of confidence that I'm going to keep it. Whereas like with e-commerce, well, people are more defaulting to, I'm just going to buy this. If I don't like it, I'll send it back. Right. And so your job in between is to give them everything they need to, and maybe they won't like it and that's okay, but like, it shouldn't be because they don't know how to use it, or it shouldn't be because they don't understand the value of it or anything like that. That's your job to pause the marketing stuff, like opt me out of that for at least like seven to 14 days until I get my stuff done. And in that time, educate me about the product, show me how I can use it, enrich my life some way. And then I'm going to turn into a super fan. I'm not only going to keep the product, I'm going to go buy more of them, or I'm going to tell my friends. That's the, I think that's the thing that can really like, I hate to use the cliche term, but move the needle for most brands is like, address that period and be more intentional about how you use it. So I love that you shared that. I tweeted something out about this, that I I just think it's a funny way to put it. If you were to think about how you're talking to your customers, role play it in a real life store situation. So what we were just talking about, the emails, it would be like someone coming into your store, walking around, coming and purchasing the product. And as they're walking out the store, you're like, oh, hey, 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 did you see that we have shirts too? Like it just, it just doesn't make any sense, right? In that situation, if that happened to me, I'd be like, yeah, I just walked around. I saw that you had, I just wanted to buy this. I just bought, I'm walking out of the store, leave me alone. So thinking through it like that, what you're doing online, does it make sense in a human to human interaction? And 
God forbid, please stop marketing to customers who just bought, who don't have a product and do not market a men's sweatshirt to a woman who just bought, you know, woman thongs on your website before they've gotten them. It happens all the time. And it is hands down the easiest improvement I think to make. The other one I see all the time is affiliate programs. I don't want to be an affiliate. I haven't tried the thing yet. I don't know. I think I like it, you know, unless I bought it before and you don't remember me or whatever, like wait a little bit. That's like asking for marriage on the first date, right? Like you got to wait and see if I even like it. And then after I get the product, you should ask me how things are going, right? Maybe somebody gives me a call. I don't know, but at least send me an email and say, how are things going? What questions do you have? Does everything fit? Okay. Is it performing as you expected? You know, that kind of thing. And then if I respond in some way that indicates I'm a super fan, then pitch me on the affiliate thing. And I'd be, I'd love to, but like so many of them are three days after the shipping notification. And I don't even have the product in my hands yet. And it's the worst time to present that CTA. Awesome. Well, so much fun talking to you. Before I let you get back to the rest of your day, where can folks go to learn more about you, about what you're working on at Shopify and Resilient Retail or whatever the the next iteration of Resilient Retail is going to be like, what can we uh, do to follow you and learn more from you in the future? Yeah, so you can find everything about Resilient Retail at resilient.shopify.com. We are on every podcast platform that you can think of. Just search Resilient Retail. You'll find my face and it'll say Shopify. We also have video format of every interview I'm doing on YouTube. So same thing, just search YouTube. And then I am most active on Twitter at KD LaFrance. Awesome. Thank you so much. You know, if you want to have some fun today, go visit a website called crispylapants.com. You got to check that one out. It's crispy with a K lapants.com and there's a little bit of a, a we'll, we'll call that an easter egg that's what they call it in the video gaming yeah. industry so go check that out and just that's see various one. fun manipulations of Kristen's name it's it's always good <laughs> for a laugh Kristen thank you again so much for coming on the show today really loved having you and thanks so much for sharing your insights with our audience hopefully they'll go subscribe to Resilient Retail as I recommended and uh, they'll continue to learn more from you here in the future so thanks so much for your time thank you so much for having me Hey everybody, this is James again. And before you go, I just wanted to invite you to join one of the coolest things I get to work on as Director of Marketing here at The Good. It's called the E-Commerce Insiders List, and it's a private version of this podcast feed that gets you access to tons of additional bonus content like extra interviews, Q&A sessions, website teardowns, and anything else we can dream up. It doesn't cost you anything but your email address, and we promise to always respect your inbox. This is just our way of forming stronger relationships with our listeners and making sure that we produce content that is actually valuable to you and to your business. If you're interested, you can join the rest of the e-commerce insiders by going to thegood.com slash podcast and dropping your email into the form at the top of the page. We'll follow up with directions for how to access the private feed and you'll be off and running. Like I said, this is one of my favorite things that I get the opportunity to work on because it lets me interact directly with e-commerce founders and leaders just like you. If you're interested, I'd love to see your name pop up in my notifications. Until then, keep an eye out for the next episode of the e-commerce insight show and we'll talk to you soon.